Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome. I'm Tara Davis, and this is Holistic Living. I am so excited about today's show. I've been waiting for this since last week, actually, um, since Friday. We are talking about money today. If you would like to call in, uh, the call-in number for a guest, if you have comments, you can actually just call in to listen. If you have questions, comments, the call-in is 646-564-9503. And so let's get started. I, Like I said, I've been looking forward to talking about this money topic. We are going to dive into Susie Orman's book, The Courage to be Rich, We are going to talk about Nick Ortner's EFT, which is tapping, emotional freedom technique, which I have just started his course as well. And so this past weekend, I started reading Susie Orman's book, The Courage to be Rich, and I am also simultaneously committed to a seven-week course on tapping for financial freedom. And so I didn't plan the two things to go together. They just fell into my lap pretty much at the same time. And I decided that this is exactly what's supposed to be happening right now. So let me preface that real quick with, I'm also doing a 30 day yoga challenge. And if you do yoga on a regular basis, if you have a regular practice, you will begin to notice what shows up in your life by moving and opening your body. Yoga is such a great arena for us to find out what's really hiding. Like we know ourselves hide our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings, our memories. And so by moving our body through yoga, we open up ourselves to whatever we are ready to heal, to remember, to pass through and heal. And so it's no accident that I am looking at my relationship around money as I'm going through this 30-day yoga challenge. What is today? Um, It's the 19th. So I've been doing yoga every single day for 19 days. And this is what has shown up for me is my relationship around money. And so I've known in the past that I have, well, first of all, I've never been the main breadwinner in our family. It has always been my husband. My job has been to take care of the family, um, take care of the kids and run the household, which has been great. I've had, you know, side jobs here and there, depending on where we lived. I've been a a coach, a life coach. I've been a healer with hands-on healing. I've done all kinds of like an aerobic coach, um, personal trainer. So just teaching all kinds of, uh, or, or just making money on the side. And so it's not that I've never made money. It's just not my main purpose up until this point. And so now I can see how much that I want to contribute to the world in the second phase of my life. And so I do want to make money. I want to make a lot of money. 
And I've learned that I don't have to apologize for that because the more money that I can make, the more money that I can help people, the more I can get my message out into the world, the more I can create healing on that basis. And so I do want to make a lot of money. I know I need to heal my relationship around money. And so that was my premise behind starting these two courses. And I've only started, uh, let's see, Monday, let's today, Tuesday. Okay, so yesterday really officially started the first course, um, the EFT, the tapping. Uh, when I signed up Thursday or Friday of last week, I did get some uh, pre-material to do uh, a little bit of digging already into my finances or into my fears or shame or anger or however I was feeling around that to just get into my emotions. And my book arrived also Thursday or Friday timeframe, um, the courage to be rich. And so the courage to be rich is also creating a life of material and spiritual abundance. So it looks at your finances from all perspectives. So as I started into Susie Orman's book, um, going through and reading, there's lots of different exercises to really get you into the space of where you are with your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions around money. And so for two things showed up for me, which you're probably going to think is, could be kind of funny on one of them. Uh, the first one that showed up for me was how I was raised, how I was, um, well, my childhood around money. And when I was young, really young, I had no idea, you know, the, the, that we really didn't have any money. I, everything I needed was completely provided for. Uh, it wasn't until grade school that I realized I didn't hardly have any money. But still, everything I needed was provided. I had clothes. I went to a, pub, a private school. I had food to eat. But I didn't have what everyone else had, like name brand things. And I looked to see, you know, it started to occur to me what other people were driving and what we were driving and where other people were living and where we were living. And again, we lived in a completely middle class neighborhood. We just hardly had any money. And so I started to realize how that affected me. I also realized the second thing, which I said you think you might think is a little funny, is that I have a fear of making so much money that I'm going to spend it all. <laughs> and so I wanted to get through this fear. And I giggle because it does sound funny to even say it out loud. I mean, I've said it to my husband. I've chatted with my mom about this. And to even acknowledge to you that I do have a fear about making a lot of money because I want to spend it. And here's how I want to spend it. I want to spend it on really fun things for me, for my family. I want to take trips. Equally, I want to spend it on creating my business and getting my messages out to the world. And I want to be able to hire an assistant and hire several other people to help me get my message out. So it does sound funny that I'm afraid to make too much, but at least I know that that is a fear and I'm willing to look at it and willing to address it so that I can move through this 
so that I can make more money and I can no longer have that financial block sitting in front of me. So let's start with um, talking about the book, first of all. So as I started reading the book, I want to read to you so that you can potentially let me grab the page, um, potentially relate to sh either shame or fear or anger. If there's any of these that are resonating with you, let's chat about it. I would love to hear what you have to say. You can also leave comments at the end of the podcast. If you're listening to it later, after we're live, you can absolutely leave comments at the bottom. I would love to hear what your relationship is with money, what you're doing about it, what you have done about it in the past. Okay, let's talk about the first part, financial shame. What does, and I'm going to read these directly out of Susie Orman's book. These are not my words. These are absolutely her words. What does financial shame look like? Its posture is head down, eyes down. It's contained and hidden, but the effects of its presence are apparent. It's the most deeply rooted emotion of all because it cuts to the core of who you are, telling you you're not good enough, not deserving of what you have, less than you are less than others, no matter how much you have, you experience the sensation of shame just once and you're likely not to forget it. So that is where I am. Uh, besides the fear of making too much, I have shame around my money. It's not how much I have or don't have. When I read this and started to journal about it, I realized that it did go back to my childhood and 99.999% of the time it's going to take you right back to your childhood because that's where all your memories come from. That's where your basis of your entire life comes from is from the formation of your childhood up to about the age of five. And so I just want to talk briefly about what I had just started on growing up. So my parents, my father worked, um, as he was in college. And so my parents were very young when they had me. My mom worked odd jobs, but there were my brother and I um, for the first, gosh, six or seven, eight years of my life. I'd have to maybe have other sisters. But so there were the two of us. We, again, were completely provided for. I had no idea that we were poor, so poor. But we had everything we needed. My mom played with us. She made our clothes. We would get hand-me-downs or we would go thrift shopping. And I didn't know that this isn't what everyone else did. It wasn't until my sisters came along and then we started uh, going to private schools that I realized how much money we didn't have. And again, <clears throat> my mother stayed home and worked at home. She volunteered quite a bit out of the house through our school um, and did some odd jobs on the side. But again, it was just my father's income with four children and in a private school. And let me reiterate, we wanted for nothing other than, you know, name brands that other kids have, which don't we still have children who want for that. 
And so when I got to, to grade school, that is when it started to occur to me that there were other people in the world who had way more than we had. They brought things differently to school in their lunch boxes. Their parents drove different cars. They lived in different neighborhoods. They would go out to eat quite often. They would go to the mall and go shopping and buy name brand things that were way more expensive than what we bought. And it started to occur to me that other people lived differently than we did. And then it started to occur to me that we didn't have a whole lot of money to spend on all of these other things. So then I became self-conscious of what we didn't have. In an internal way, my closest friends were fine coming over to my house, but I didn't want anyone else to come over to my house because I was afraid, I was ashamed of what we didn't have. I was afraid they wouldn't like me, they wouldn't accept me. And so in doing this um, process through this book and through the tapping, I have realized how much shame I had growing up because I didn't feel good enough, I didn't feel worthy because of what we didn't have. It had nothing to do with my parents or how they did or didn't raise me. It was the entire situation around money. And I have a, I have a um, situation that I'm going to read to you here in just a few minutes, but I want to tap onto the other pieces of this as well. So on financial shame, let's talk about what that looks like as an adult. So... Maybe you were shamed growing up. And again, I'm reading straight from Susie's book. Maybe you were ashamed growing up because your family had less than the other families that you knew. Maybe you didn't have the right clothes or car or belonged to the country club or your mother was the only mother who worked as, as some of them were, which was a source of shame. Maybe you didn't have the money to attend or finish college the way your friends did. In some cases, the shame is why me shame? Because you might have had more than everyone else and didn't feel that you deserved it. Your shame might have come from a specific incident or, of a, or from a cluster of incidents you never forgot. In any case, Shame has real staying power and can destroy your pride, self-respect, self-worth, and ultimately your net worth. How does shame come into play in grown-up financial life? If you feel, quote, less than, you'll spend more, possibly even more than you have, in order to feel like more. If you feel you don't deserve what you have, you'll neglect it. You will fail to grow, and eventually it will stagnate. If you feel undeserving, you'll never take real pleasure in the money that you have and what it can do for you. If you believe that you truly don't deserve the things you really want, they'll never really be yours. Defeat won't be a problem for you, but success will. So that is what shame looks like for us as an adult. Tune into yourself and see what came up for you as I was reading this. You might have had a lot come up. You might have had nothing come up because we still have two more to read through. The second one is financial fear. 
What does financial fear look like? Watch someone when you see a line of people handing over money or a credit card to a clerk in the store. If there's fear, you'll be able to see it. Watch the way the other customers clutch their money too tightly. Take just a second longer than they should to relinquish it. Hold out their hand before the clerk is ready to give them the change. Hold their breath until the credit card clears. Perhaps instead, you might see them distance themselves for their money, from their money, like hand it over too quickly, toss it to someone, or push it across the counter. When it comes to money, fear is consistently constricting and debilitating, like a companion or a voice in your head reminding you of all the bills you have to pay. It can express itself in one of two ways. It can prevent you from doing what you should with your money, or it can cause you to do what you shouldn't with your money. And so I do resonate with a few of the things in that description. Uh, I can definitely resonate with, um, let's see, oh, holding their breath. (laughs) I think that's As an adult, it's so funny because I'm well aware of the amount of money in my accounts when I use a credit card or a debit card. And I full well know that there's plenty of money there for the transaction that I'm making. But every once in a while, there's something in the back of my mind that expects something is not going to go through. And I think it comes from when I started to use a card as a teenager and I you know, would have my first job and I would start to use a credit card or a debit card. And as a teenager, first starting to use my card, half the time there was money in there and half the time it wasn't. And so sometimes it would decline um, or reject it. And that's, first of all, sort of embarrassing and it sticks with me. And so there's something in my adult mind that still has those memories of the clerk saying, yes, sorry, your card was declined. (laughs) I know it sounds kind of funny, but it's still there for me. Uh, And then what was the other one that resonated? Um, Oh, I don't think it resonated with me, but I do know. I mean, I've seen people toss the money across the counter or push it across the counter or put their hand out, you know, waiting for that change to come. And this is not a judgment. It's neither good nor bad. It's just the acknowledgement of those patterns that we all have. We all have some kind of a relationship around money. So it's just the acknowledgement of, oh, now I know what that looks like. Uh, So that person probably has some anger around money. So let's look like what it, or let's read about a little bit more about what it looks like as an adult. If your parents quarreled about money when you were young, if you grew up feeling there wasn't enough, you almost certainly harbor some fear. Oh, sorry, anger. I already read that one. My apologies. (laughs) I forgot to move my tab. Okay, let's read about the anger. An adult's anger is the same as a child's. Anger at not getting what you want, but as adults, we're in control, at least we're supposed to be in control. We're the ones with the power to say yes or no. If you want something badly, something that you can't afford, you're going to be angry if you say yes to yourself and angry if you say no to yourself. 
In this no-win situation, there's nowhere for the anger to go, and it can stay with you, causing a good deal of damage throughout your life. If you're angry at being deprived, you might keep up the deprivation in order to sustain the anger, and maybe you'll lash out at the anger with reckless spending. Perhaps you'll feel suspicious that others are trying to shortchange you, and if you feel it, others will sense it. So it's that sense of paranoia. If anger is a recurring theme in your life, your actions around money will be grudging and pinched, often to the point where the flow of money will become constricted, dwindling in some cases to a trickle. When your outward appearance and way of living suggests to others that you have more money than you do, you're angry. When you're living When you've invested more money in today than in tomorrow, you're probably angry as well. And no matter where you cast the blame for your anger, in the end, the person you'll be most angry with is yourself. So in this one, I don't necessarily resonate with the anger portion, although I can see different patterns in people I know that have anger issues around money. And again, it's neither good nor bad. It is what it is. It's whether or not we choose to acknowledge it and to work through it. And if we choose not to acknowledge it, that's our choice. So I want to turn real quick to the exercise that I did and where I came to a point that brought me to grade school and an incredibly specific instance that I can remember like it was yesterday. So I started journaling, let me grab my journal, about my own money issue of how I felt. And I want to read to you a little bit about what I was journaling when I was reading a bunch of the stuff uh, prior to what I was reading to you from Susie's book. How do I feel? I do feel that I'm not good enough to earn the amount of money that I desire. I think of others who have it and wonder how they are doing so well. Are they pretending or is it just me? Because I feel like I'm pretending sometimes. I do have debt and I feel ashamed of that debt. My debt isn't large, but it's still there. I feel afraid of money. I don't look at others with contempt. Those who have money, I'm just really curious. How are they getting this money? I'm aware that everyone has a choice and a vibration around money. Mine currently that I'm ready to be rid of is not good enough, pretending, ashamed, and afraid. So those are the items that I am no longer willing to have around money. So how do I get through this? And so that's where the tapping comes in. That's where reading through this book comes in. The the tapping course is seven weeks, and we'll get to that here in just a few minutes. I wanted to talk about the shame, the shame that I feel. Sometimes I feel less because I spend more. I often felt ashamed because it seemed like everyone always had more than me and they seemed better than me. And I didn't want them to know that I didn't really have very much. 
one time in high school, I had to take the bus to work because my car was broke down and my mom wasn't at home. I was so embarrassed waiting at the bus stop. I was hoping that no one saw me because they would know, according to my beliefs at that time, that if I was riding the bus, I must be poor. And that equals not worthy. So I remember those were the thoughts at the time that I was taking the bus. And it's so interesting because I want to put a little caveat here. Now, as an adult, I have a um, no problem riding the bus. When we were traveling through Central and South America, I rode buses all over the place. Public transportation in all other countries is just the norm. And when you're in big cities, public transportation is almost a given. It's a must. But at the time growing up in the very small city that I grew up in, riding the bus really meant that you didn't have money for a car. And so I felt unworthy riding the bus. So that memory has stuck with me. However, it hasn't affected me as an adult because I have no problem riding the bus now. It's kind of fun because you don't even have to drive and worry about traffic. <laughs> okay, let's talk about as well. We wore secondhand clothes. And so as we wore secondhand clothes growing up, it didn't affect me until about the first or second grade. When my mom made my clothes, I thought that was the best thing ever. But once we got into school, and I started realizing that there were these things called brands, name brands that kids had that I didn't have. I started to realize that other people had more than what we had. I felt embarrassed oftentimes wearing secondhand clothes. I felt like I wanted new clothes. I wanted to have those white Nikes that everyone else was wearing. I wanted to have that Izod shirt. I wanted that alligator on my shirt like everyone else had. And the only way I was going to get it is if someone else had taken it to the thrift store. Let's bring that to today. Now I love thrifting because you can find the best deals <laughs> on clothes at thrift stores. And again, while we were traveling through lots of different countries, depending on the season, we might have to go get some other clothes at the thrift stores. One of my sons is the biggest thrifter ever, and he's taught me to really just embrace it. Plus, as an adult, I appreciate the recycling component of thrifting because I take my clothes all the time to the thrift stores, to the consignment stores, uh, because I just there's no need to throw them away. Half the time, they're really good. I've just done wearing them. You know, they've been in my closet long enough. And so I love taking my clothes to the thrift store. I also love thrifting at specific thrift stores that have clothes that I really love to wear. And a lot of times the price tag is more than I want to pay. But at the thrift store, it's a brilliant bargain. So it's interesting how I still can completely relate to the feeling of shame as a child and it's still there for me, but I don't mind riding the bus, nor do I mind shopping at the thrift store. Okay. I was also, oh, this is another piece that I remember growing up. I was also told money doesn't grow on trees. We don't have a money tree in the backyard. And it's interesting because I 
can almost hear myself telling my children the same thing. And our parents did exactly what they were taught, right? I mean, they did the best they could. I am doing the best that I can. So this is never a blame on anyone. It's just the matter of working through my issues. I felt so special as a young child because of my mom making my clothes and playing with me and my brother. I felt very special. It was just when all of this stuff, when the shit started to hit the fan in grade school, that's when all of this shame and anger started coming in. Going to school completely changed my perspective. I had such a different perspective around the world, around my family, around my friends. Of course, there were always people that had less than we did, especially at the private school that I went to. But I don't remember looking down on them. I played with them. They were my friends as well as everyone else was. But there was one particular person that brought up, that triggered for me, issues that I had around money. And I'm not sure why she specifically has triggered these issues because I've sent her a note um, several days ago after I had these realizations. And I just recently had my uh, 30th class reunion and I chatted with her. I met her. I, we hugged. I had a great time with her. And none of this came up for me while I was with her. It's not until I started doing this work around money and shame that this particular vivid instance came up. So I'm going to read to you what I wrote around this particular instance. We were playing four square on the playground. I remember looking at one of the girls that I was playing with. In my grade school view, she didn't have much, just like me. She came from a poor family, just like me. I can remember being mean with my words to her because she triggered in me my shame and lack of what I had. I thought that if I was mean to her, it would make me feel better. I would also maybe throw the focus on her and the other girls would look at her and not me. I remember using my mean words to her and really wanting them to stick in and wanting the other girls to look at her and look at me with, oh, my God, you're so funny. I don't remember the exact words that I used with her. I just remember my intention was mean. And I remember her responding to me, Tara Pickerel, which is what my maiden name was, you get under my skin and I don't like you. And then she walked away. I can remember laughing because I thought, oh, my God, that must be something that your mother would say to you because that's certainly not something a seventh grader says. And I can remember turning to my girlfriends, and we all just laughed because of the fact that she was so mad that we had made her mad. And I can remember the feeling, first of all, two feelings, one of like, really, did you just do that? Because that was pretty mean. And secondly, oh, thank God, their attention is on her and not me. I didn't at that time clearly know the triggers that she presented for me. I didn't realize that she was presenting the same triggers 
she was almost my mirror throughout school because she would continually present triggers for me of my shame and my fear that others would see how little I had. And so I was continually deflecting this onto her. Bless her heart. I sent this whole recollection to her just a few days ago in an email. And she didn't remember this whole situation, but she remembered another situation where I was mean to her. The remorse that we feel is crazy because when I was writing this out and reading it, I actually read it to my husband after I wrote it all out and just sat with it. It made me cry because of the meanness that was intended on this act towards this girl who was the same age as me, who clearly and obviously had no way of making money in the seventh grade. She had no more control over her situation than I did, but she represented what I didn't have. Oh, I felt, I felt bad for what I have done to her. I felt sorry for the shame that I put on her, for how much I made fun of her. I also felt relieved to be able to acknowledge this situation and see it for what it was and be able to let it go. Now, that doesn't mean that I think it's okay. It's to be able to release the hold that this situation has had on me. If it didn't have a hold on me, it wouldn't be presenting itself for me to heal. And so the healing for me was writing it down, was feeling all of those emotions and was sending this letter to her asking and asking for her forgiveness, telling her how sorry I was for making her feel like I intended to make her feel. Mm, It's very powerful. It's painful to go to these places because we don't think, we don't want to think how mean we can be as children or even as adults. And so it's oftentimes painful to relive these situations. But to grow and move forward, sometimes we have to revisit situations to let them go. So today, there is still some reason that I don't feel deserving of money. However, I will say within the last five days of just starting these courses and reading these books, I feel way more deserving already than I even did five days ago. I also want to talk about the EFT and the course that I talked that I'm taking just briefly um, because I didn't make a whole lot of notes about it. But EFT is emotional freedom technique. It's tapping, and you can look this up. It's tapping on solu- the solutions. <laughs> it's tapping on the acupuncture, acupressure meridians on your body. And so you can go to thetappingsolution.com and find all the information that you need to have to start their seven-week course, to find out anything about tapping that you want to get through. There's tapping for weight loss. There's tapping for any kind of fears or blocks that you have. I mean, you can tap anything, I'll just tell you. And so by tapping, we are releasing 
these emotions from our body. Because when all of these emotions, so here's what I learned, and here's how I related it to me. So when my husband and I are having a disagreement or an argument about something, and I'm trying to work, I ruminate on that argument because, first of all, my ego wants to be right. And so my ego is almost working overtime, telling myself how right I am. Then I go over that argument or that disagreement a bazillion times in my mind. So at that point in my mind, my brain is so busy, I cannot focus on my creativity. So when we are stressed, we're so focused on that stress sometimes or that argument that we cannot have room for the creative pieces that we need to be creating. It also then, if we don't release it and allow it to heal, it then starts to manifest in our bodies. It can manifest in an achy shoulder, a bum knee. It can manifest in disease. It can manifest in your back. I mean, it can manifest anywhere in your body. Without releasing the stress, it manifests itself. And so by tapping, we are releasing the hold and the pressure of stress in our body so that we can actually have the mind space to be creative at what we're actually supposed to be doing. If it's a job, if you're an entrepreneur, while you're at work, I mean, I think we all know when we have an argument or when we're really focused on something that's stressing us out, we don't have the full capacity to be our best selves, to be fully embraced in what we're supposed to be doing. And so that is what this tapping is doing over the next seven weeks is really digging in to more of my belief systems where it's sitting in my body. And so it's so interesting as I go through this as well. And I think last, well, last in two, two weeks ago, we talked about menopause and perimenopause and the position that we're in in, li- in midlife as women that we all want to change and have a whole second life, which is exactly where I'm at. So it's perfect for me that I am taking the courses on finances, and I'm so willing to see where my blocks are that so that I can let them go so that I can start to bring in financial abundance into my life so that I can create more of what I want to create because that's where I am in my life. Ah, oh, this conversation was so good for me to have with you. I'm so glad that you got to listen in. And I hope this has helped you identify with any of the pieces around your finances that you might have around fear, around anger, around shame. Let me know. I would love to hear what you have to say. I hope to see you next time. Cheers.